Let's see you open your Bibles up this morning to the Gospel according to Mark chapter 1. And we're just going to be looking at one verse here this morning. Uh, this is the beginning of a new sermon series uh, that I'm going to be preaching through the Gospel of Mark. And this will, without a doubt, take us through the entirety of this year and probably a good portion of next year. So, uh, so today's message is going to be an introduction to the book of Mark or the Gospel of Mark. And, you know, the, uh, Mark uh, is attributed the gospel according to Mark is referring to John Mark, but the overwhelming evidence that we have is that uh, Mark's gospel is one that he got from the apostle Peter. And when I say evidence, uh, if you were to look at the early church fathers, going back to the second century, uh, is that the apostle Peter uh, gave this account of Jesus to John Mark. Mark was not an apostle, but Peter was. And uh, it seems the uh, a, a, a almost overwhelming agreement that Peter, the apostle Peter, uh, is the source of John Mark's writing. Now, who was John Mark? Well, Colossians 4.10 tells us he was uh, a cousin to Barnabas, uh, who went on the first mission trip with the Apostle Paul. And Mark, unfortunately, is often known, more notably, as a source of division between Paul and Barnabas. If you go and read Acts 12 and Acts 13, that Mark went on that first mission trip with Barnabas and the Apostle Paul, but later on, uh, Mark abandoned them. He deserted. He left. And when they were going to go on another mission trip, Barnabas wanted to take Mark, and Paul wasn't having it. It caused a source of division. You can read about that in Acts 15. And instead, you end up with two mission trips. Paul would go with Silas on a mission trip, and Barnabas would take Mark. Now later on, though, and you could see in Paul's writings that he would soften up on, on uh, Mark. As uh, a matter of fact, it's believed in Philemon 24 uh, that the Mark he mentions there, Marcus, it says in the King James Version, uh, who he calls a fellow worker, he was talking about John Mark. And then later he tells Timothy, Paul does, in 2 Timothy 4.11, get Mark and bring him with you. For he, he is useful for the ministry. Uh, Mark would start off in his early part of his ministry as a young man would kind of stumble some. And we all stumble. But, it, it, but we do see that he matured and would be a very close to the apostle Peter who Peter describes in 1 Peter 5.13 as Mark my son. Now you call somebody your son, that means you are close to them, his spiritual son. And so it seems that the vast majority of people agree that Mark's gospel, that the source for it was the apostle Peter. Now, let me say this, while P Peter was the source of his writings, we know that Peter's words 
and Mark's words that he wrote down, the author of it ultimately is the Holy Spirit, God's Word Himself. Uh, Mark is believed to be the oldest of the four Gospels, though it's second in our canon, but most consider it to be uh, most likely the oldest of the four Gospels, written in probably the mid to late 50s. And when I say 50s, not the 1950s, about 20 years after Jesus is 20 to 30 years after Jesus' resurrection. It is believed to have been written in Rome itself, and the language is seems to be aimed at a Roman audience. Uh, uh, it's very fast moving. We were talking about that before church this morning. Uh, there's a fast moving uh, gospel. It, it, Mark in his gospel. Uh, he gets he gets to the high points. He doesn't. There's not a lot of focus on the teachings of Jesus in Mark. It's focusing on his actions, his deeds, and I believe the Gospel of Mark is a great gospel. If you were talking to somebody who was who's unconverted, who wants a quick reading of a gospel, Mark's that. It, you can read through the Gospel of Mark in about an hour and a half. Uh, John is another one. Any of them are good, but as far as introduction, I think Mark is an excellent one. And today, we're in this shortest of the four Gospels. Uh, we're having, we're, we're beginning, and let's before we read, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you, Lord, thanking you. Uh, for this time to get together and look at your word. And Lord, uh, I ask you to help me, Lord, as I preach your word today that I will be faithful to it. And Lord, help us to have open, uh, open hearts to your gospel, Lord, and teach us through the writings, this gospel of Mark. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Mark chapter 1. In verse 1, we read the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Uh, Mark's gospel begins very, he hits the point very quickly. This is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And that's what I want to entitle this message, you might could say, the beginning. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, uh, when I see this phrasing of Mark here in Mark chapter 1 and verse 1, the beginning, it reminds me of Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, uh, we were learning in Genesis about the beginning of this world, of this universe, the beginning of a lot of things, Genesis is. And then in John 1, 1, in John's gospel, how does he begin it? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John Mark quickly introduces to us the purpose of his book. Uh, in the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he is telling us immediately what it's ab about now, first we need to define what Mark is talking about when he says the beginning of the gospel. 
The word gospel itself is a pretty simple word. It's not a very deep word. It was a word, and I'm not going to go into the Greek, the, too deep into the Greek, but it was a common word, the English word that we have for gospel, that we call the gospel, uh, was a common word used in, in Greece among Greek-speaking people. It just means good news, good news, glad tithings. Uh, so it's, like I said, it's a simple word. It means good news. Uh, but Mark, you'll notice, phrases it how? The beginning of the gospel. Not just a gospel, not just a good news, not just good news in general. He says, I got some, the best good news around. The good news He's telling us something specific. He's saying, it's almost like Mark's gospel. If any of y'all have ever wrote a paper in school, you might have a thesis statement. He's giving his thesis statement. Here's what this book is about right here in verse 1. I'm telling you right now. Like I said, Mark's quick and to the point. He doesn't, he, do, he doesn't, you know, there's no build-up, a whole lot of build-up. He's saying, I'm telling you, this is what this book is about. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ the Son of God. Uh, and you'll notice that he connects it, and I'm going to look at this Wednesday night when we look at uh, verse 2 more detail, but he connects it to verse 2. As is written in the prophets, Behold, I'll send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. He jumps into the, the ministry of John the Baptist, and he mentions the prophets. He connects it to the Old Testament most like uh, uh, referring back to Isaiah here, the prophet, though uh, Malachi also speaks of this. So he connects what he's saying to the Old Testament. There's a famous megachurch preacher who's went off the deep end, said a few years ago that we need to we need to unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament Christians do. The problem is if you unhitch the New Testament from the Old Testament, it don't make any sense. Because John is, I mean, John Mark is definitely hitching his gospel to the Old Testament because he jumps to the prophets. And you'll see this consistently with the gospel writers, not just with Mark. Uh, and the good news is what Mark is writing about and, and proclaiming. And I tell you what, folks, uh, this world needs this type of good news. Uh, David Brown, in his commentary on Mark, states, By the gospel of Jesus Christ, here is evidently meant the blessed story which our evangelist is about to tell of his life, that is, Jesus' life, ministry, death, resurrection, and glorification, and of the begun gathering of believers in his name. And here's something that you'll notice in, I'm going to tell you, I'm speaking of Mark's gospel, but you will see this in all four of the gospels. There's a mistaken belief that the gospel writers, people say, why, did, why, did, why didn't they just all write the same thing? Well, for one thing, they write to four different audiences, but why write the same book that's word for word? And... The Gospels are not biographies of the life of Jesus. That's not their intention. I'll give you an example. There's 16 chapters in the book of Mark or the Gospel of Mark. 
Yet 11, 11, Mark 11 through 15, are focused on only one week of Jesus' life. The week we call Holy Week. The events of Palm Sunday, Good Friday. Five, that is five out of, of the 16 chapters are focused on only one week of Jesus' life. That's about 30% of the book. Mm -hmm. And then chapter 16 is focused on the resurrection, Easter Sunday and his resurrection appearances and the ascension. So you can bind them. That's six out of the 16 chapters are focused on the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. You see, the Gospels are not biographies, but they all are pointing to that event that would happen at the cross and the empty tomb. And that's what Mark, look, you got to have that in mind. This is true with all four of the Gospels. They're all pointing to that event that's going to happen at the cross, the empty tomb. For, their, for Mark is wanting to convince you the good news is found in the finished work of Jesus Christ, His perfect life. That's what the world needs to hear today. You know, I, I, I know some of y'all saw it on Facebook about one of these churches up in Cincinnati and there's some other churches having these uh, Super Bowl church services which are just completely ridiculous. Treating grown people like they're, they're 12-year-olds. You know, having silly stuff. Uh, and I won't go into all that and, uh, you know, kicking the Bible like it's in a, like it through a, like it's a, a football and having all types of crazy music. So, so much craziness, seeker sensitive, they call it. But ultimately, folks, it just shows they don't have any confidence. Churches that do that have no confidence in the gospel itself. I'll tell you what, Mark had confidence in his gospel. And I tell you, you read in Romans chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, what did Paul state? He says, So much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel, the good news, to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Paul says, I'm ready to preach the gospel, the good news there at Rome. And he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus. I'm not ashamed of the good news of Christ. Why? He says, it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone believeth, to the Jew first, to the Greek. Don't think you have to entertain people to try to get them into heaven because you won't get them to heaven to entertain them. You might make them make a decision. You might make them even come to your church service. But it's the gospel, my friends. The good news of the work of Jesus. I, I remember back in 2010 when the New Orleans Saints won the Super Bowl. I mean, Y'all remember that. Uh, and especially if you fo had followed the Saints back in the 70s and 80s and all the drudgery of how they couldn't win anything. And oh, man, they won the Super Bowl. And I remember as a friend of mine up in West Monroe uh, and some friends, they were walking, walking through the streets saying, who dat, who dat, who dat? They were announcing, hey, the Saints are the Super Bowl champions. I'll tell you what, 
The news we have is greater than that, isn't it? The news that we have about Jesus is greater than that. For the good news we have saves souls. The good news of Jesus Christ. And that brings us to the next point. This gospel is about Jesus. It's about Jesus. He calls it the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Uh, uh, he, he, by the way, he, you'll notice he says at the beginning, uh, John MacArthur believes that this could have been a, more like a title he's, he, of his book that he's stating. Uh, the gospel is about Jesus. And I'll say this, and you can rebuke me anytime, folks. If I get up here and preach a message and it doesn't point you to Jesus Christ, I failed. I mean that. And I look back in the past, and I believe there's some times when I, uh, in my ministry, that I, I didn't emphasize Jesus enough when I got up and preached. And I don't care where I'm preaching at. If I'm preaching in Leviticus 1 or 2 Chronicles, it should all eventually come back to Jesus Christ. Uh, I remember a lot about my experiences were early Christianity and I look I want to say first of all I'm thankful for my Christian upbringing and I wouldn't be where I am today I was converted to Christ at a very uh, godly church but I also remember you know just like a lot of churches back especially back in the 1970s and 80s were highly influenced by revivalistic meetings and I've thought about, as I've gotten older, you know, how that these meetings, boy, there'd be a lot of preaching about hell. I mean, you'd hang people over hell, the evangelists would. We'd say, amen, amen. Scaring the daylights out of people. And look, I'm all for preaching on, the, on hell. We should preach it. But if you de-emphasize de the finished work of Jesus... And all you emphasize is that you're just preaching law. You're just preaching judgment. You got to give people the good news. Yeah. I remember uh, there was a church I was at in Monroe, Louisiana, and there was an evangelistic event. I guess you call it an evangelistic event, and it was a, a film showing. Uh, to try to win people, get a decision. They had some decisions made. I don't know if they were, I'll say a decision called The Burning Hell. You ever heard that movie? The Burning Hell. And our movies. But it shows, I mean, it's really, it'll hang people over hell. But what was missing in it? The gospel. Oh yeah, there were some, you know, throw it a little bit at the end. Just a little bit. Season it. Look, we can get on all the Joel Osteens and all this today who preach, you know, a watered-down, you know, feel-good Christianity. But if we're honest, you go back in the past, sometimes we were doing the opposite, preaching a, nothing, but the, the, nothing but the judgment of God, but little, or de-emphasizing, let me put it, the finished work of Christ upon the cross. In the gospel, we must look. I, as I said, we got to have that balance. Yes, preach, 
the law of God. Preach, there is a judgment coming and you need to repent. But now, don't leave out the good news. One of the greatest sermons in the New Testament, in the entire Bible, is found in Acts chapter 2. And you can read that whole sermon, uh, Peter's sermon at Pentecost. Uh, you could do it, we could do a whole sermon series on that sermon in Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 39. If you read that scripture, and Peter's, that's a, Peter's pretty hard on those, I mean, it's a hot sermon. But you'll see it's immersed in scripture, and it's gospel immersed. And, you'll, and, that, and when you get to the high point of that sermon, in Acts chapter 2 of Peter's sermon there, after he had preached, and I mean, I mean, he went into the Old Testament. He pointed people to Jesus. He pointed those uh, those people who just a few, several weeks earlier, many of them were involved in the crucifixion of Jesus, because he states, notice verse thirty six. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off even as many as the Lord our God shall call. I want you to notice how Peter, as he closed out that sermon, stated. He says, Look, I want you all to know that this Jesus whom ye crucified is both Lord and Christ. He is the one the Old Testament prophets pointed to and you crucified Him. But He's Lord and He's Christ. And they were pricked to their hearts. Look, Peter was preaching the gospel to them. He wasn't entertaining them. He wasn't being seeker friendly. And what happened? They were pricked in their hearts. What shall we do? He didn't leave them hopeless, did he? Repent. Turn from your sins. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Now, he was not talking about, he was not contradicting Jesus' Trinitarian formula of baptism. This just simply means be baptized upon your belief that Jesus is the Christ. And you'll be saved. Receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. This promise is to you and to all who believe. Folks, he pointed them to Jesus Christ. We got to do that in our ministry. Look, the gospel's about Jesus. This Bible, every book, every word of it, from Genesis to Revelation, points to Jesus Christ. The ordinances or sacraments. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. They don't have power within themselves. They point people to Jesus. Baptism points to the fact. What, do we, what happens in baptism? You go down 
water come up. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It's stating, I'm being baptized because of what Christ did at the cross by His death, His burial and resurrection. The Lord's Supper reminds us that we're not saved by our good deeds and good works, but by the body and the blood of Jesus. The Gospel's not about us. The Gospel's not about our performance. It's not even about our church. It's about Jesus. And who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Well, the word Christ here that Mark uses. It's not Jesus' last name. Christ is not the last name of Jesus. It's a title. It means the anointed one. The Messiah. You can read Psalm 2 where it's prophesies of the Messiah, the Christ. Uh, it was a prophecy of Jesus. Uh, Jesus is the anointed, the Messiah. He is the one. In Genesis chapter 3, when Adam fell, when Eve and him both rebelled against God, God did not leave them in their sins, but promised in Genesis 3.15 a Messiah, one who would crush the head of the serpent and himself be bruised by that serpent pointing to the cross, even in Genesis 3. He is the one that King David prophesied of in Psalm 22 when David spoke of one suffering, saying, My God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? And Psalm 22 is often called the crucifixion psalm. He is the suffering servant that Isaiah prophesied of in Isaiah 53. Bearing, taking upon Him our iniquities and sins. He, my friends, Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Christ. And He is the Son of God. He is God come in the flesh. The God-man. Not 50% God and 50% man, but 100% God and 100% man. In Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 17, Jesus asked a question. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, says, When Jesus came in the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? A lot of people still are asking that question. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Uh, who is he? Is he just a good man, a good prophet? You know, there was a top ten list made many years ago of the ten greatest men who ever lived. And on that list was Alexander the Great, Napoleon, some other people. And number one on that top ten list was Jesus Christ because of his influence. But the problem of that top ten list is that Jesus can't be compared. You can't compare these men to Jesus. Jesus is above man's top ten. Jesus is the Son of God. But people don't realize that. Jesus don't belong. He, he's, not, he's not competing with these other people, folks. Who is Jesus? Is he just a great teacher? And what did they say? Verse 14. He's talking to his disciples. 
This is disciples. And they said, Some say thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. They said, Look, a lot of them say you're this and that. You're one of these great prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? I'm not asking you who they say I am. Who do you say? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ the Son of the living God, just as Mark wrote down, receiving this from Peter, most likely. And in verse 17, And Jesus answered and, and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Many people have different opinions of who Jesus is, but I go with Peter's statement and and that's true with any believer because why this wasn't revealed by flesh and blood to peter this wasn't just something peter conjured up jesus says my father in heaven revealed it to you peter this is who jesus is in john chapter 6 verses 66 through 69 <clears throat> Very similar in a similar situation, and it involves Peter again. And you read in verse 66, and Jesus had got had been teaching them, and he had a lot of people who were following him in his ministry. But Jesus got through some hard teach hard teachings here, and I, I'm not going to go through all of it, it's a long chapter, but if you'll notice in verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. That is, many who professed, many of these who had professed to be disciples, they were walking with him, is what it means. They were walking, following along, listening to his preachings, but now they walked away. Uh, John MacArthur in his study Bible says that the, the language here indicates that the abandonment was decisive and final. I mean, they've said, we've had enough of this guy. We're not following him no more. There's a lot of people today have done that. Many people that I've known, people I've known personally, some famous preachers have walked away. And they have gave up on Christianity, period. They didn't just walk away from the church, they walked away from Jesus. And we see this is nothing new. This deconstruction that we hear about today of people deconstructing their faith and walking away. Nothing new. It happened even in the ministry of Jesus. And then in verse 67, Jesus, we read, it says, Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will you also go away? Will you also go away like these? And then verse 68 and 69, Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. Amen. Peter said, speaking for the twelve, he's the one of the twelve that spoke. He says, Lord, where are we going to go? Where are we going to go? See, I think you can see the difference between the elect and the non-elect here. 
He says, Lord, whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. You are the only, you have the words of eternal life. And we believe in what we think? No, we are sure that you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. My friends, that's the kind of, we got to remind ourselves that today. When Satan wants to draw us away, remind yourself who Jesus is. Martin Luther said, we need to hear the gospel every day because we forget it every day. You see, this, the flesh and our world, this world we're around, will pull us away from Jesus. We've got to remind ourselves. That's why it's so important we read the Word of God. Uh, and I encourage you, read the Gospel of Mark. It's a short read. You can read it over and over again, and, it, and you, you're not going to get enough of it. You won't get tired of it. Read all the four Gospels, by the way. Here's the thing, folks. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he is the good news. If you're looking for assurance of your salvation and your good deeds or something you're doing, you're looking in the wrong place. You've got to look to Christ. That, if you're a Christian and you're doubting, look to Christ. He is the source of our good news. He is the source of our salvation. If you're loaded down with sin... And guilt today, oh, my friend, look to Christ. Look to Him and His finished work. Take your sins to Christ. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I urge you, as Peter urged those in Jerusalem, repent. Turn from your sin. Turn to Christ and believe upon what He did at the cross. That there at the cross, He took the sins of all who believe upon Him. And they were placed upon Him. He suffered, bled, and died. And three days later, rose again. This is the good news, my friends. Believe that good news. Turn from your works. Turn from trusting in yourselves. And look to Christ. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, God, we just thank you for this good news. Lord, we are so bombarded with bad news, evil news by this world and how we as believers need to be reminded daily of the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have no other place to go, as Peter said. For our Lord Jesus Christ has the words of eternal life. He is eternal life. Encourage us with Lord God. And I pray for any who may not know Christ that you will draw them to you and Lord, uh, and that they may believe. Oh Lord, thank you that you sent your beloved Son to be our Savior. In His name I pray. Amen.